Hastinapur, if you remember from last night. And uh, Duryodhana has arranged for his minister, Purochana, to build a highly inflammable house for the Pandavas. We're going to Varnavata, this um, nice city in the foothills. And uh, as the Pandavas are leaving, the city, Vidura, uh, through cryptic language, warns them of the danger to them. And uh, so the Pandavas arrive in Varnavata, and Parochana uh, happily shows them their new house. And as soon as Parochana is gone, the first thing Yudhisthira does, they start, start sort of poking around, scratching the walls, and realizes that, in fact, this house is a fire trap. So from the very beginning, the Pandavas, especially because of Vidura's warning, understand what the situation is, and so they come up with their own strategy. For one thing, they uh, reveal to Parochana that actually they are nature lovers. And so they um, they want to go out of the city every day and spend the day out of the city and just get to know the surrounding countryside. Uh, their purpose, they have twofold purpose. Number one, it... Uh, as long as they're out of the house, there's no real danger to them. It gives them time. And uh, secondly, they get to know the countryside. They get to know the country. Actually, there, there's a few other facts I have to bring in about the, uh, the engineer. Uh, here's a few more points. When they first arrived, they actually... And this is very interesting because it shows something about uh, social relationships. When the Pandavas first arrived they actually went around to the homes of the citizens. Brahmanas, Kshatriyas, Vaishyas, and also Shudras. All the different social classes went to their homes, got to know them, introduced themselves, and basically within 24 hours they were as popular in Varnavata as they had been in Hastinapur. So uh, they were natural leaders, the Pandavas. And then, uh, as far as this going out to see the countryside, something else happened. Vidura, uh, who was, by Dharma, Dhritarashtra was, of course, was supposed to take care of the Pandavas, but he had other ambitions which prevented him from actually taking care of them. But Vidura, Vidura actually loved them, and Vidura really took care of them. So, in the absence of Pandu, it was Vidura who became like their father who took that role and re- and really protected them. And so not only did Vidura warn them, but he uh, secretly sent an engineer or a, a, an expert in excavation to the Pandavas. And uh, this person, through various uh, types of, you could say, code or, or, or things that only Vidura and the Pandavas could know, convinced the Pandavas that he was on their side because anyone could come and say everyone knew that Vidura uh, was taking care of the Pandavas, looking after them and so this engineer, this excavator had to convince the Pandavas uh, that this was not a trick and so therefore he shared with them information that only the Pandavas and Yudhisthira could know 
this excavator then said that the plan was to dig a tunnel directly beneath the house and leading out of the city. And, uh, of course, one imagines this was possible only if the house itself was not, you know, not like miles from the outskirts of the city. Uh, these were not large-scale cities. This, of course, is pre-industrial civilizations, primarily an agrarian economy. And so the cities could be beautiful, but they were not large uh, on the scale of modern cities. So this was the plan to, to dig a tunnel, and it was, and that, that was actually one of the primary reasons now for putting things in order that the Pandavas profess this love for nature. They want to see the countryside. They love to take country walks and go horseback riding. And so they took Purochin away from the area every day so that the digger could do his work. And the excavator got to work immediately digging this tunnel. In the meantime, the Pandavas were not only taking Purochin far away from the house so he couldn't detect anything, but at the same time they were getting to know the countryside. They were actually, all from the very beginning, they were planning their escape. Uh, and uh, from what Vidura told them, they somehow knew they'd have to escape at night. And uh, so they had to know the countryside extremely well. Uh, that, so skipping ahead, uh, finally the day came when Purochana wanted to actually burn the house. And of course the Pandas, you can imagine the type of life they led. They, I mean, they had to have, obviously, someone awake at night. They couldn't just sleep, and they couldn't all sleep at night. So it was a, it was an extremely anxiety-ridden existence, and uh, not getting proper sleep. Always, I mean, if you know that someone, your your next door neighbor is trying to kill you, uh, you know, it can be stressful. So, so finally, what the Pandavas decided was that. Um, they themselves, rather than wait for Parochina, they themselves would burn the house down with Parochina in it. Because somehow or other, they, they sort of understood that, by, I guess by Parochina's behavior, that the time was coming. Now again, Parochina was uh, in the armory where all these weapons were, and so uh, they, Bhima himself, on a particular night, they set fire to the house. Shankar will know some of the little incidents that I'm skipping because I'm, I'll tell you why later. So some of them, I, uh, I, I question some of the veracity of some of these things because it, it's a very complex text that has come down for many years. In any case, <laughs> I'll, I'll explain to Shankar later. So uh, the Pandavas did in fact escape. They set fire to their own house and Bhima set fire to the next house and killed Parochina. Because this was, first of all, Parochina was uh, the kind of person who maybe, I, I don't know if even his mother could lament his demise. But also, if Parochina lived, if Parochina lived, he would tell Duryodhana, I didn't set the fire. And then everything would come out. And so it was absolutely necessary that Parochina uh also be eliminated. So the so Bhima set fire not only to their own house but to the house next door, and they escaped through this tunnel. Uh, it was 
the way the Mahabharata describes it is that by that time they were so exhausted because they waited till the night time, they wanted the cover of night, they hadn't slept, they were, of course, in a great state of anxiety, and it said that Bhima, who was the most powerful, actually carried them part of the way he had to actually carry them. Anyway, they did escape, and they knew the countryside, and they, uh, they just kept going. Under the cover of night, they just kept going to get as far away as they could from that place. And, of course, Bhima, who is the son of Vayu, the son of the wind, actually helped them to get very far away indeed. And finally, they couldn't go any farther, and, and, and they stopped to rest. Uh, so then something else happened, uh, which is interesting. Hidimba. There was a Rakshasa. There, apparently, uh, there were cannibals back then. Um, there probably still are in some parts of the world. India at that time uh, was filled with vast forests and jungles and hills and so on. And uh, there were uh, what are called Rakshasas. Rakshasas, sort of these uh, ferocious cannibals who come in and out of the stories. Anyway, so uh, they were lying there sleeping and uh, Bhima was standing guard as the rest of the family. And remember, this is also Kunti. Duryodhana and Parochana also wanted to kill the mother. Or at least they made no provision to spare her life. The plan was to kill all five of these young men and their mother. Even though their mother was Duryodhana's aunt, he didn't hesitate to kill her also. Anyway, so the, the Pandavas and, and Kunti were resting. They couldn't go any farther. They were sleeping. And in that forest was a particularly dangerous Rakshasa named Hidimba and his sister, who had the same name but with a feminine ending, Hidimba, which is feminine. So uh, Hidimba uh, sort of, I guess he smelled or somehow detected that these humans were there, and he thought, you know, feast, this is a feast. Because he, 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 he hadn't eaten humans in a while, and you know, it's like every once in a while you want some Italian or Chinese. Or, <laughs> and so, so apparently in that forest he hadn't had humans for a while, and so um, he was definitely in the mood, and so he sent his sister out to go see where they were and to, to go scout it out. And maybe even just kill them and bring them back. So she went there, and she saw Bhima, and uh, she fell in love. This Rakshasi, Rakshasi is a feminine word, uh, fell in love with Bhima. And realizing that in her present form, she just, you know, she had this monstrous Rakshasi, like every day is a bad hair day. <laughs> and uh, so she used her own yoga power of Kama Rupa to transform herself into a stunning young lady. And then she just kind of, you know, walked into the scene. And Meanwhile, Hidimba was getting impatient, like, where's my dinner? And, uh, you know, it's not uncommon that people become a little irritated when their food is late. It happens even among the sadhus. So, <laughs> he must not really <laughs> So he did. <laughs> So Hidimba came to see what was wrong, 
And as soon as he arrived there and saw his sister all decked out with this new human-type female body and the way she was looking at Bhima, it didn't take him very long to figure out what was going on. So he was outraged. He was outraged that, why are you playing with my food? (laughs) So at that point, uh, a fight broke out between Hidimba and Bhima. And uh, Hidimba at that point thought, as soon as I kill Bhima, I'm going to kill my sister too, because she's obviously out of control. <laughs> now Bhima, one thing about Bhima, and this is, we haven't heard too much about Bhima, except that he's a son of Vayu and very strong. Bhima loves to fight. He's, uh, he's a born fighter, and uh, fighting Rakshasas is kind of like one of his preferred I don't know you call it, you know, competitive sports. And so the fact that Hidimba attacks him to Bhima is just like, oh boy. I mean, he's as happy about fighting Hidimba as Hidimba is about eating him. <laughs> so, so a fight breaks out, and um, Bhima, so at, at that point, you know, they're fighting. There's a typical fight in these stories where they first, they start punching, well, you know, they'll like uproot trees. I mean, try this sometime. Big tree. <laughs> They just uproot trees and bash each other over the head and throw <laughs> giant boulders. And uh, and then when they've sort of like cleared the area of trees, they'll just start beating each other with fists. So uh, Hidimba and Bhima are fighting and Arjuna wakes up. And just he suddenly wakes up and sees Bhima fighting this Rakshasa. And it's very interesting what, I remember what uh, Arjuna says. Uh, he's Because... It's interesting, when you read Sanskrit, say Mahabharata Sanskrit, which is generally called classical Sanskrit, uh, a lot of it's poetic or, uh, you know, it's composed. But sometimes what breaks through in the text is, in the dialogue especially, just they're just speaking the way people really spoke back then. And, uh, and at those times, they, they really spoke very much like we do. In composed Sanskrit, often the syntax is very different, but when you sometimes see this realistic dialogue, it's, it's actually similar to the way we speak. And so, I, I remember this, that uh, when Arjun wakes up, he says to Bhima, Taraswa Ma Krita, hurry up, don't play around. And, uh, <laughs> so Ar- Arjuna gets Taraswa. Arjun becomes irritated because he sees Bhima's just playing around again with a rock shuffle. <laughs> and so, um, so Arjun insists that Bhima stop playing with this guy and just get rid of him. Because it's dangerous, it's making a lot of noise, and it's going to attract attention, and, and, and they've got to escape. So, so Bhisma does what he typically does, he, he just lifts up his opponents, and he, he like spins them around until probably all their blood is just on one side of their body. Bhima lifts them up and spins them around, and then he, uh, he, he like smashes them on the ground or whatever, so he... Uh, he, he uh, I guess uh, Hidimba didn't even have a chance to tap out. You know, he just. <laughs> anyway, so he killed he killed Hidimba, and uh, and the Pandavas had to really get move out of there. Meanwhile, oh, Hidimba, what happened to the poor girl? So Hidimba, who uh, she's watching all of this, and she's still in love with Bhima. Obviously, she didn't particularly love her brother. He was not lovable, and. 
So, th- so at that point, Hidimba, you know, <laughs> she realizes the Pandra is going to leave, and she said, you know, she's heartbroken. She really, and she begs, and and, and Bhima says, you know, I, I'm just following Yudhisthira. So then Hidimba begs Yudhisthira, please be merciful. You must know how a woman suffers when she's in love like this. And so she says something like that. And so, uh, so they make an arrangement that um, Bhima. He, they can't bring Hidimba along because for various reasons it's not practical, but uh, Bhima will accept her as a wife and give her a child. And this is sort of a thing that happens sometimes that, uh, in that, that a man would accept a woman or give her a child and the woman in a sense was uh, would live her life with the child. So uh, what they did is Hidimba, because she had these powers, she sort of took Bhima on this uh, flying honeymoon and um, they begot a child who comes back later in the story, Kadokacha, which literally means potshine. And the reason he's called potshine is because he was born bald. Apparently, Hidimba, even though she changed herself into this beautiful human form, she was still genetically a Rakshasi. And uh, therefore, when their child came out, it was, you know, definitely uh, bore the traits of, of her actual form. So, Utkacha. Uh, like shining forth and gutta means a pot. Actually, Shankara and other philosophers often use the word gutta in their analogies, you know, like, like clay and pot and so on, gutta. <laughs> and so, gatotkacha. Anyway, so then uh, Hidimba has this child from Bhima, and then they, the, the Pandavas continue on because they're actually fleeing, they're on the run. And uh, they go to a place called Ekachakra, they come to this town. And now here's the point. I mentioned earlier, and now you'll see why I mentioned it, that the Pandavas actually grew up as yogis, as sages and Brahmins. And so when they have to hide, because if they're discovered, they'll be killed immediately. So when they have to hide, they hide as Brahmins. It's like if you, let's say if you grow up speaking a certain language, and that's your mother tongue, uh, if you have to sort of speak so that no one else understands it, you go back to your mother tongue. And so in the same way, the original culture, you could say, of the Pandavas was culture of yogis and Brahmins. So therefore, they knew exactly how to do it. They knew how to put the clothes on, you know, the, the robes and how to tie them and how to walk the walk and talk the talk. They could, because they grew up as yogis and sages. So when they have to hide, naturally, that's what they go back to. And so they disguise themselves as uh, just as young Brahmins, and they have to wear kind of like these baggy Jedi night robes because you know they're quite muscular, and so they kind of wear these baggy robes. And uh, it worked for the Jedi Knights, and so it worked for the Pandavas. <laughs> so then they um, so they go to this town of Ekachakra, and they beg shelter in the home of a Brahmin, a very generous Brahmin. His wife, he has a daughter. And, uh, and, 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 a, and a smaller son. So they're living very happily in the home of this Brahmin. Now there is a problem in this town, which the Pandavas soon discover after they've already moved in. The problem with the town is that the king is weak. And that's not the capital. The king doesn't live there, but it's part of the kingdom. The king is very weak and can't protect the people. And there's another Rakshasa named Baka. Uh, there's a Rakshasa named Baka who lives outside the city and terrorizes the city and the king can't protect them. 
And so the people of the city, in order to save their lives, made an arrangement with this Rakshasa that every, every month one family will sacrifice one member of their family to be eaten alive by this Rakshasa. And if you say, why didn't they just escape? Because there were other Rakshasas in the area, as we learned from the story, and basically people couldn't get away. So you could get in, but you couldn't get out. It was one of those places. Wasn't the Hotel California? <laughs> anyway, so you could get in, but you couldn't get out. And the Pandavas were in. The way they learned of this, the Pandavas actually didn't know this because their host didn't want to talk about it. And so, but the way they learned of it, one day, uh, uh, was it Yudhisthir, Arjuna, Nakul and Sadev were out begging because, again, they were disguised as Brahmins, and so the way they would, you know, Brahmins wouldn't work in steel factories or even, you know, farm or anything. What they would do is they would go out every day and they would just beg alms. So the Pandavas were going out every day and begging alms, and this will come back later, you know, in the case of Gokuri. They go out to beg alms, and uh, Bhima's home with Kunti. So one day, uh, suddenly, Kunti and her son Bhima hear this wailing and crying coming from one of the rooms of the house. So they go over there and they just listen, you know. Again, I don't know if they had doors with doorknobs back then or just claws or whatever, but anyway, so they, so they, they listen and they hear this, this very strange conversation going on in which each member of the family is trying to convince the others that I should die. And first the father is giving all kinds of arguments that I should die because if I die, you will all live and it's my duty to protect my family. Somehow you can get along and the children can't live without their mother. And the mother starts saying, I should die because uh, if, you, if you die, then I won't be protected and who knows what will happen to me and I can't face that. And so it's better that I die. And then even the sis daughter starts saying that she should die. And the daughter starts saying that she should die because after all, that way the parents can be together and they can take care of their young son. So at this point, Kunti is thinking, like, what is going on here? <laughs> so she comes in and says, what is going on? What are you talking about? And uh, they then explain to her about this Rakshasa and this month, it's their turn. To, and they have to choose a member of their own family to be eaten alive. Imagine that. Choosing a member of your own family to be eaten alive by this demon. So Kunti hears this story, and she says that, um, well, actually my son Bhima uh, is a very powerful yogi, and uh, he has these mantras by which he can neutralize rakshasas. So I think he can go. First, Actually, first she says, I'll send Bhima, and they're horrified by this idea because there's so much into this culture of hospitality, one of the common words in this culture is, you know, atiti devata, that the atiti, the guest, a guest in your home is treated like God. And it's interesting, if you, you know, the, the word atiti, the word titi is a lunar day. And that's why all the uh, days of the month are feminine, like ekadashi, vladashi, and so on, they're feminine, because they're titis. So titi is lunar day, and there are special titis, there are special holidays or festival days or whatever on which guests come. You know, like you invite your grandmother over for Christmas or something, or Hanukkah. 
And so the idea is that, um, you know, those are days when you expect people, you invite them, they're supposed to come at those times. However, the real test was how do you treat someone who is a titi, who comes unexpected on a day when you're not expecting guests but no one's invited. And that's why they're called a titi. So the idea is that you that even such an atiti, not to speak of an invited guest who maybe is your own family or friend, but simply someone that comes to your home and to whom you give shelter, you have to treat as if God had come to your house. Because uh, the point is God has come to your house since God is in everyone's heart. And so anyone that comes to your house is a temple of God. And this is a... Um, in the Bhagavatam, there's a beautiful verse that says, uh, A devotee of Krishna, or just a devotee of God in any form, uh, that only worships the Lord in the temple, you know, some type of form in the temple or whatever, and doesn't honor that same God in the heart of every living being such a worshiper is actually on the material platform, is not actually on the spiritual platform. And so the idea is that the same God who's in the temple or church or mosque or synagogue, whatever, that same God is in the heart of every living being. And therefore, every living body, not only humans, by the way, every living body is actually a temple of God. So this was the idea. It's a good idea. Anyway... So the Brahmins were completely committed to this culture, this, this, this spiritual understanding. And they, they, li- they literally said, we'd rather all die than sacrifice a guest in our home. And that's when Kunti said, well, actually, I wasn't really thinking of sacrificing my son. Uh, he, and then she explained that actually he's a yogi and this and that. And, and, of course, they, they still didn't want to do it, but finally Kunti persuaded them, because Kunti was very powerful. Kunti, first of all, she actually is, she actually is a, practically the greatest queen in the world. I mean, she's a, and she's a very powerful, aristocratic lady, plus she is a, considered to be self-realized. She, she's performed extraordinary spiritual practices, even up in Chattasringa with her husband Pandu. She actually, be, I mean, in addition to her famous devotion for Krishna, as a great devotee of Krishna, uh, she performed extraordinary yoga practice for years, high up in the mountains. So, she's a very powerful lady. She's led an absolutely sinless life. She's a very powerful lady. And when she speaks, people listen. So, uh, she told the Brahmin, no, let's, we'll do it this way. And don't worry about my son. Now, it's interesting, when the Pandavas come home, the rest of them, Yudhisthira, Arjuna, and Akul, and Saladev, they're, and they hear about the whole thing, they're really in anxiety because they realize that their mission in the world to help Krishna, to rid the world of Asuras, and just to reestablish uh, the rightful government and so on, depends upon Bhima. Bhima is a necessary person, and, and we can't just risk Bhima. And, th- and then Kunti speaks something very interesting. She sort of admonishes her son. She chastises them and says that, I am, that uh, we have to be Kritagya, and that's the word for grateful in Sanskrit, kritagya. Kritagya means literally knowing what was done for you. Like someone who knows what was done for them and doesn't forget it, kritagya. So anyway, Kunti, of course, she does it her way. She's still in charge. And 
So what they do is the rules of the game, this sort of uh, ugly game, are that you have, that the family has to fill up a wagon with food, right? Because it's not just the human entree. There has to be yeah. other stuff too. So they send this wagon full of food with Bima. And Bima, as the, you know, and I think there's, what is it? Was it ox or mules? Anyway, it's being carried in an ox cart. And, and, and the Rakshas is going to eat the whole thing. He's going to eat everything probably except the, the nails in the wagon. You know, he's going to eat the oxen. He's going to eat the person. He's going to eat the food. So, um... So, Bhima is on the way there. They're going out at night. And on the way there, he thinks, I'm not going to waste all this good food. So he just starts eating the wagon full of food. And uh, by the time he gets there, you know, the wagon's mostly empty. And this huge Rakshas of Banka sees it, and he's, he's, he's really enraged, like, you ate my food. And so uh, he, he goes and he, 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 slay, he gives this lethal blow to Bhima. Uh, except Bhima, for Bhima, it's not lethal. And Bhima, even though he's being struck by this demon, he doesn't even stop eating. It's like, he just, he just stops him with one hand. And can, you know, he wants to finish the last part there. And even then, he first washes his hands. You know, he ate, so he rinses his hands off. And then he turns around and smashes the demon. So Bhima, he's got style. So the, again, another big fight breaks out between Bhima and the Rakshasa. And Bhima, despite himself, he can't avoid having some fun. And so he's fighting with this demon. Of course, they're uprooting trees and throwing boulders and smashing each other with fists and you know, all kinds of chokeholds and whatever. It's a real fight. And finally, Bhima decides that, you know, enough is enough. I, I, have, I, have, I have other things to do. And so, again, he uses, you know, like every wrestler has their famous hold. Or, you know, the thing, every wrestler got some special thing they do. So Bhima, you know, he picks the guy and spins him. And then he throws him down. Then Bhima... Bhima really didn't like this Rakshasa because of all the horrible things he'd done. And so what's described is, uh, with one hand, the demon was lying face down. The Rakshasa, with one hand, Bhima put his one arm around his neck, pulled his head up, and then put his knees on the Rakshasa's back, his other arm, and his legs, and broke him backwards. Which is, uh, it is lethal, and it's then he, I mean, he actually broke him backwards, just folded him backwards, and then he took the body and just dumped it at the city gate. So the next morning, when people woke up and started coming out of the city to go out to their farms and so on, and they saw this body, they were, uh, people were just stunned. Not only was this great Baka dead, but he had been killed in, in, in a way that, you know, which, which was superhuman. And so immediately everybody started asking, like, whose turn was it? You know, who did this? And uh, everybody was rushing to the Brahmin's house to find out what happened. And, uh, of course, the Rakshasas also saw this body, and Bhima actually, uh, at that time, when he, when, he, when he killed Baka, he warned the other Rakshasas that this will also happen to you if you... Uh, don't start behaving yourself. So it said that after that time, that was the only city in the world where humans and Rakshasas could actually get along because the Rakshasas were very nice and like, oh, good morning, Mr. Jones. 
they, they never forgot what had happened to Baca. So anyway, uh, so when they came to the Brahmin's house, when they came to the Brahmin's house, uh, Kunti had already told them what to say. And so the Brahmin said that a great yogi was passing through here, and I, I let him stay in my house. And this yogi had the, had this powerful mantra to control rakshasas, and so he went there and killed the rakshasas. So anyway, so after that, they, uh, the, the city declared a, an annual holiday to honor the Brahmins because of what the yogi had done. And, uh, and then at that time, the Pandavas decided that, or actually Kunti said that, uh, we, perhaps we'd better get out of here. Because people might start thinking, after all, people at first just accepted the story. Okay, the yogi did it, but then who are these men that are staying in the Brahmins' house? Did they, they, did they have anything to do with it? And they're really nice Brahmin boys, but they are kind of a little bigger than normal Brahmins. And so, so Kunti called her sons and said, you know, we've been here long enough, and we've seen all the beautiful things in the countryside. She said, even if we stay longer, we're not going to enjoy all the natural beauty around here the way we, have, we already have. You know, you've been in a place long enough, and you've kind of gotten used to it. And she said, I think it's time to move on. And then just at that time, just at that time, when they decided that it's time to move on, uh, a Brahmin came passing through. And the Brahmins in those days, they were kind of like the news service I mean, traveling sages would, they would travel around, just wherever they went, they would tell everybody what the news is. Like, I was in this part of the country, and this happened, and they would talk to each other. And so, and so the Brahmins, in addition to also being doctors and astrologers and providing other services in exchange for the charity they received, and of course, spiritual knowledge, uh, they were also sort of like the, uh, you know, BNN, the Brahminical News Network. So, <laughs> so... A Brahmin happened to come through the town, and he gave the Pandavas news, which which uh, actually shocked them about what was going on in the world. And based on that news, they immediately decided what their plan had to be. So we'll talk about that this evening.